tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Hello. I, as Job said to them, it's Lent. Why? I'm very upbeat for those people who have recommended I be more cheerful at the beginning of the show. Do you know what it's like to be German? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Good Actually, grief. good grief. I remember there was a very dear woman. She was from, uh, in my parish, she was Prussian, Ilse, and uh, uh, devout, wonderful woman. But uh, it was so funny because. Uh, um, she was, as I said, Prussian, and they're about as North German as you can get. And uh, um, you'd ask her, Vigates, how goes it? And she would shake her head and she'd say, ach, man muss. In other words, you'd ask her, how is it going? She said, you gotta. <laughs> if that doesn't say it all, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Where did I put it? Oh, once again. My mouse has escaped me. I'll have it in a minute. There we go. Good grief. Good grief. You said that already, Charlie. All right. The first reading I'm going to reserve for the word of the day. I want to go straight to the gospel because it's quite a gospel. This is Matthew, the sixth chapter, uh, the seventh to the 15th verse. And I'm going to grind an axe. I don't care. I, okay. Where, where did I put the axe to grind? All right. I, I, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I, I, you know, I get all upset um, about the portrayals of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, because, and I think I'm not just being picayune about it. I think there's a point here. If you go to Matthew, the fifth chapter, the first verse, when he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. People look at that and they 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 have this picture of of Jesus standing on top of a mountain talking to a multitude of people. They wouldn't have been able to hear him. No, when he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. You, you know these pictures of Jesus standing on a mountain. First of all, he's sitting, which is the way rabbis taught their their students. This is not an address to the multitude. This is let's get away from the multitude. I want to talk to you about some things in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, the the I believe it's first chapter. Uh, Jesus spends a day in town healing the sick and all that sort of thing, and then he goes out to a deserted place to pray. And his disciples come and find him and say, 
Rabbi, they are looking for you in town. And then he says to them, and I can see it in Greek, agomen alachu. Rabbi, they're looking for you in town. He says, let us go elsewhere. This idea that somehow Jesus was radically available to people, he was radically available to his disciples and to those who would hear him. Um, he, he, you know, we have these, you know, we saw it in a Bible book when we were seven. So Jesus is standing on top of a mountain preaching. He never did that. In the, look at the text. When he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. This is an important thing because this whole Sermon on the Mount is really about about his preparing his disciples. This is, and I think that's really why I want to talk about it this way, because because if you want to be his disciple, you go up the mountain with him. You know, you don't. Why? We see the, the what's called the Sermon on the Plain in the Gospel of Luke, which is kind of a more abbreviated form of the the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, I, I don't know that this is true, but perhaps he kind of lightened it up for people. He told his disciples the whole the whole schmear. Uh, so I think this is, is it's important for us to understand this that that Sermon on the Plain. Jesus had to get into a boat lest they push him into the water. They wanted to push him to touch him to be healed. The 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 Sea of Galilee is below sea level. And so the the sides, the hills go sharply down into this this below sea level valley, the, the Jordan Rift Valley. And the hills form a natural amphitheater. When Jesus wanted to talk to the crowds, he had them sit on the hills and his voice would travel. Uh, I, I think the text is clear about that. But look what's going on. They want to get near him to touch him. They're not coming to be taught. They're coming to be healed, which is fine. It, it, Jesus healed them. But so many of us never go beyond that. You know, Jesus would heal the sick, and then he'd say, come follow me. Not always, but in general. Come follow me. Do you want to be his follower or just the recipient of his blessings? We can be both. But if you're going to be a disciple, you hear the hard sayings. You go up the mountain with him. I think that that's, that's an important point that's made in the text, That because we saw it in a Bible book when we were seven, or we saw it in, in, in art, in a picture. You know, we cling to, to these these artistic interpretations of the scripture that may or may not be accurate. Look at the text. All right. I've spent a long time talking about that. Let's move on here. Jesus said to his disciples in praying, do not babble like the pagans who think they will be heard because of their many words. Well, don't Catholics do that? They have novenas and rosaries and, and all these repeated prayers. Shouldn't prayer just be spontaneous? Prayer should be spontaneous. It should also be structured. Uh, you heard me say that, that spontaneous prayers like muscle, structured prayers like bone. If you're all muscle, you're going to be a heap on the floor. You're all bone, you're dead. It's a combination of both. A structure in prayer helps you when you're not feeling like being spontaneous. It's a matter of it's not either or, it's both and. So what's what's this babbling on like the pagans? Exorcism was big business in the ancient world, and an exorcist would have incantations that he would just repeat 
or he would have lists of demon names, the idea being that if you stumbled on the name of a more powerful or a bigger demon, it would scare the littler demon away, that sort of thing. Uh, and we see in the Acts of the Apostles that the the exorcists and magic practitioners of Ephesus burn their books and their amulets uh, in a great fire. Well, they babbled on like the pagans. If If you say repeatedly to someone you love, I love you, that's not so bad. You see, in praying, do not babble like the pagans. It doesn't forbid repeated prayer. Uh, the Psalms are full of it. Jesus repeated prayer on the way to, to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. It's just amazing. There's a stairwell in Jerusalem that leads from the site of the upper room down to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a road that actually is a set of stairs. And going down that road, Jesus repeated the Hallel Psalms. And one of them is, for his great love is without end. For his great love is without end. For his great love is without end. Ki laum chazdu. Ki laulam chazdu. Ki laulam chazdu. Jesus repeated this phrase on his way to his, his, his imprisonment, torture, and death. His great love is without end. His great love is without end. Jesus, you shouldn't be repeating prayers like the pagans. Give me a break. All right. Oh, gosh. This is going to go long, I'm afraid. Let's get to the actual substance of, of the reading. I maintain that this is the most dangerous prayer. Now, take it with a grain of salt. Don't stop saying the Our Father. But it's very dangerous. And we say it in the Mass right before we receive Holy Communion. Well, let's look at what we're saying. Our Father who art in heaven. I don't want a Father in heaven. I want him right here. I remember my dad would get on the train and go downtown and work and then come home. Why isn't Daddy here? Well, he's earning a living so that you can eat. You've got quite an appetite. <laughs> and I did. But... We want Daddy to be right here, what we're saying in the, in, the, in the prayer. It starts out, the first word in the prayer is Father. In Greek, it's Pater Hemon. So, our Father is really Father ours. It isn't my Father. It's our Father. We share Him. First lesson. And He's not right here. He's in heaven. you got to trust Him. Hallowed be thy name. How, what does hallow mean? It means to sanctify. Sanctified be thy name. How can I sanctify the name of God more than it is? How can I make the name of God holy? When a Jew talked about sanctifying the name, he meant dying because he was a Jew. When you say the prayer, hallowed be thy name, you're saying, if I got to die for you, I'll die for you. May your name be made holy in my life by, by my actions, by my life, by my death. And then thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I'm going to put that off because I want to talk about your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. So I want to put that, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's as, the biggest word in the Bible, I tell you that. The angels in heaven and the saints now, they absolutely obey the Lord. This is, uh, this is, uh, this is not as I will, but as he wills. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't want daily bread. I want a good stock portfolio. You know, give me what I need today. You know, that, that, that verse from the Bible is always sort of uh, interesting. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. I don't want a lamp under my feet. That's like those little ridiculous lights they used to have on vacuum cleaners that would illuminate about six inches in front of the vacuum. No, no, I want a miner's helmet that sees down the tunnel. I want to know what's going to happen in, in three years. I want, we're saying, I don't want any more than what's necessary for today. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, forgive us our trespasses. There's as again. 
well, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. So, God, you forgive me, but I don't want you to forget my sin. What? As. Forgive us. And remember, forgive means to let go. That's what the Greek word means. Afiyami means to, to let it go. Just let it go. But but he did this terrible thing to me. How can I let it go? You just take a deep breath and say, ah, Jesus, I trust in you. And you let it go. That's what it means. Let it go. When you are angry with someone, they usually don't even know you're angry with them. The only person you're hurting is you. Let go of it. You'll benefit by it as much as they do. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I've shared with you a number of times what is the purpose of temptation. The purpose of temptation is so that I can see what's in me. God, the word tempt and test is exactly the same word in Greek. It means to tempt or to test. People say, well, God will never test you. Oh, yes, he does. Why does he test you? So that he can know what's in your heart. No, he knows what's in your heart. The people you live with, your spouse, your children, they know what's in your heart. The fact is the people you live with could probably make a better confession for you than you can. The reason that God allows us to fall into testing is so that we can know what is in our own heart because God cannot move in our lives in the areas where we do not admit that we have sinned. If I say, it's not my fault, it's not my fault, she made me do it, he made me do it. God God is paralyzed. He allows himself to be paralyzed by that. God works only in confessed sin. And I don't just mean the sacrament of penance. I mean sin that I admit, yeah, I did this, it's my fault, forgive me, Lord. May God not have to put us through that process. And may he deliver us from evil. That last one is the evil one. Apotuponeru in Greek. When you see that, uh, the article two means of the, of the evil one. As we say, good, the good, the bad, the, uh, the good, the bad, the ugly, the good, the bad, the ugly, what? The good men, the bad men, the evil men or women. So it's a substantive. So in the Greek text, it's really saying deliver us from the devil. Latin had no articles, so that's why we translate it this way. But in the in the Greek text, deliver us from the evil one. And when we refuse to, to admit our sin, when we refuse to confess our sin, and God allows us to be tested, and we refuse the test, then we hand ourselves over to the evil one. So that's why, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you forgive many of their transgressions... Your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive men, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. I can never forgive that. Well, guess what? Then God's not going to forgive you. It's the Bible. Well, it's just not fair. I don't care if it's fair. It's the Bible. The Lord says, if you do not forgive, he will not forgive you. If you do not forgive, he will not forgive you. If you do not forgive, he will not forgive you. I said it three times. Done. All right, back to thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I don't mean that. You know, this, this, uh, I mean, my kingdom come, my will be done. Why else would I pray? You better do what I want, Lord, or you're jolly well not God. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, why bother to pray? If God knows what he's going to do what he wants. No, he's not going to do what he wants. God does not inflict his own will on us. We must, you know, I've heard people say, well, Christians, pagans pray so the gods will do their will. Christians pray so that they'll do the will of God. I don't believe that either. Christians pray so that God will do his will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Every time you say the Our Father, you're asking God if he maybe has a better plan. You know, this is what I would like, Lord, but mm, if you've got a better idea, go for it. 
In other words, when we pray, we give permission to God to do his will in our life. And if we refuse him the permission to do what uh, his will in our life, he will not do it. He will leave us on our own. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So give yourself over to him. Give God the permission to do what he wants in your life, even if it seems difficult, and in the lives of those whom you love. You know, you can tell God what you want, and if it is appropriate for your salvation and the salvation of those whom you love, God will do it. But you got to understand, God really has a better plan than you and I do. And in the Our Father, we say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Oh, by the way, that thy, I, let me, if I got to tell you out, well, that's the familiar form. It's, uh, uh, it's uh, you know, the, Martin Buber, a Jewish philosopher, wrote the book, I and Thou. It sounded so formal. Really, it should be translated, you and me. It's informal. But that's just for the fun of it. So this, we say this prayer. You know, I always talk about communion is a covenant. Sacrament, uh, the, is the Latin word sacrament, in its original meaning, means an oath to the death. And when we receive Holy Communion, what we're saying is, I will give you my life as you have given me yours. As you've placed your body, blood, soul, and divinity on this altar for my salvation, the salvation of the world, I will place my body, blood, soul, and humanity on this altar for the salvation of the world and for you, Lord. I give you my... Every time you go to communion, it's what the Protestants call an altar call. You're giving your life to Christ. You know, you don't give, I say this all the time. You don't go to communion to get something. You go to communion to give something, to give yourself to the Lord, and he gives himself to you. And right before we enter into this solemn covenant with God, we make perfect liars of ourselves by saying, oh, I don't want anything, just what you want, Lord. I don't want to know about the future. I just take care of me today, and I'll trust you. And I want to forgive everyone because you've forgiven me. And Lord, I don't. I hope you don't have to test me because I want to confess all that I've done wrong. We make perfect liars of ourselves. Then we go up to Holy Communion. You can use the Our Father as an examination of conscience. You know, I don't want a father in heaven. I want, you know, somebody will take care of me right here. I don't want to hallow the name of God. I want. I want to have an easy life. I don't want God's kingdom to come or his will to be done. I want my will to be done, and so on. We make perfect liars of ourselves, and then we receive Holy Communion. Think about it next time. All right, we're going to go to a break. We'll come back with some letters. The phones will be open at 888-914-9149. Oh, I've heard this at funerals. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for Independent Thinkers at RelevantRadio.com forward slash Dallas. Father Simon says... Anything further, Father? Anything further, Father? That can't be right. Isn't it anything farther, further? On Relevant Radio. Keep trusting, keep trusting... Good advice, good advice. 
Well, that said, let's go to letters. Oh, good grief. There's my mouse again. Oh, well. Okay. Actually, I got a wonderful letter from Monsignor Dempsey. Uh, it's, it's, it's about the... Uh, um, a woman called in with a question yesterday. Is it all right for her to go to a wedding at the Society of Pius X in um, uh, a person who usually uh, goes to the the new mass, the Novus Ordo, um, is marrying someone from the Society of the Pius X, and they're going to be married in in the the in, in, by a priest who's a member of the Society of Pius X. Now, the Society of Pius X, as I understand it, is in an irregular relationship to um, the wider church. They're not excommunicated, as far as I know, uh, the, the rank and file, and, and um, one does not incur any kind of penalty for going to a, a mass celebrated by the Society of Pius X. As I understand, it's very ambiguous. Depends who you talk to. Now... <clears throat> Oh, is that live to your voice in my head? No, I was just saying there. there's a very long Wikipedia page on the canonical status of St. Pius X. I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to say it's all true and they got all the facts. Who right knows? There. I mean, it's it's so ambiguous. But a letter was put out by the um, uh, Pontifical Commission, Ecclesia Dei. Uh, and, and I think, and it was sent to me by Monsignor Dempsey. And if I'm reading it correctly... Uh, what it says is that under certain circumstances, the people can be married uh, legitimately and validly by a priest of the Society of Pius X from the perspective of, of the, the, I don't know what you, we call it, the, 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 uh, the Vatican, I suppose. However, what it says here, and I think this is important to understand, that in his diocese, a bishop is responsible for the maintenance uh, and, and the guarding of the sacraments. And I can only do a wedding if I have delegation and faculties from my bishop. I, can, I can't minister without delegation by the local bishop. So the bishop, this letter gives permission to bishops to delegate members of the Society of Pius X as, um, as witnesses to the sacrament of marriage. Now, we believe in the Western Church that the ministers of the sacrament are the bride and groom, but there must be what they call a necessary ecclesial witness. And under normal circumstances, that is a priest or deacon who has been given faculties, given the permission to do that by the local bishop. That said... Uh, this dear woman who called in yesterday wondering if it was right to go to that wedding. I think it is because it it is certainly neither the, uh, <clears throat> it is certainly not the intention of either of the couples to deny the Catholic faith. The reason, you know, when people say, can I go to my niece's third wedding in a Protestant uh, marriage chapel? I say, no, don't do that. If you need to, for family unity, go to the, Reception, don't call it a wedding reception. Don't give them a wedding gift. Give them a gift. Just no wedding paper, no wedding greeting card. Just, you know, give them a nice Bible or a nice icon of the Blessed Mother or a crucifix. 
and just say, you know, we love you and we're praying for you and we're always here for you. You don't have to burn the bridges. But to go to a ceremony, you know, two Catholics are expected, required to marry in the Catholic form because their marriage is something bigger than themselves. Also, we believe a marriage is a covenant, not just a contract. What is a covenant? It's a contract that only expires with the death of one of those who, one of the contracting parties. The other kind of contract, when the business is over, the relationship is done. Now, oh gosh, I'm going to go long on this one, but I think it's important. Um, physical and spiritual intimacy are very much the, the heart and substance of marriage. Physical intimacy is also the heart and substance of what they call the oldest profession on earth. I don't know if it's the oldest profession on earth, but it certainly has been around. For the one we have a great respect, for the other we do not. I'm being oblique because they're little ears. Uh, you know, They both deal with intimacy and physical intimacy. What's the difference? One is a covenant. It is a permanent relationship. One is a contract. When the, relation, when the business is done, the relationship is over. Marriage that allows for divorce, I believe, is really not much different than that less honorable type of relationship. I don't want to get into it. So we don't, why go, why go to celebrate uh, the signing of a, 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 a dissolvable covenant? You know, you know, people say, won't you come this way? No, I'll come to your second or third one. If you don't have that respect for marriage, we believe marriage is an, a binding and lifelong covenant. And it, we don't allow for the possibility of divorce. It's a different thing. So I think it is very wrong for us to witness what we regard as a lie. When you go to a wedding, you're not only going to a ceremony, you are assenting to that ceremony. So we do not do it. In this situation of two people being married by a priest of the Society of Pius X, neither of them are denying the covenantal nature of the marriage, the sacramental nature of the marriage, the permanence of the relationship. And if you are invited to one of those weddings, in good faith, you can assume that that priest has done his homework and has been delegated directly or even obliquely by the local ordinary of the wider Catholic Church. People in the Society of Pius X are in relationship to the wider church. It's just the nature of that relationship is being worked out rather slowly. All right, we got a lot of lines open, 888-914-9149. So I want to thank Monsignor Dempsey for the letter, and I hope I've interpreted it correctly. And again, if there is a good can canonist or moral theologian who wants to correct me, I, I would be very happy to hear from you because uh, the Society of Pius X is in an ambiguous relationship to the wider church. And I know quite a number of people in it, and they, uh, they love the Lord and they love the church. You know, there, there's no denial of the church going on. Um, in, in, in a wedding like that. So as I think I gave the correct advice yesterday, I was saying that you incur no, no problems going to that wedding. Uh, you're doing it in good faith, and they're doing it in good faith. All right, um, let's, um, let me look at a, another letter or two, if I can 
Find my mouse. I'm, I'm beginning to get the hang of this free-floating mouse, believe it or not. All right, let's see. Are you here. kidding me? No, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not kidding you. Let's see here. All right, let's see here. Uh, this is, um, okay, this is kind of, let me see what this one is. I think this is a fun one. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, this isn't fun at all, but I want to mention it. Um, this is from Tony. Uh, and um, I just had to share something that I saw and that I did Wednesday during Mass. Um, please tell me if I did the right thing. I was a Eucharistic minister back at my uh, parish, uh, in my hometown. That being said, during communion, I saw uh, the minister, uh, the communion minister, confused with a child, not sure if she should receive the host. Well, he went ahead and gave the little girl the host. She took it was playing with it. I promptly and quickly took it from her and put it in my mouth. I hope I did the right thing. Yes, you did. You know, that, that uh, if you see the host being profaned, uh, I, I think it is not a bad thing to step in and, uh, you know, make sure you're not jumping to conclusions. But if a person brings the Blessed Sacrament in their hands back to their pew and is not consuming it, the very least you can do is say, do you know what that is? Or are you going to, are you going to consume that? If you see someone profaning the host, I will never forget once a, a, a woman who was very, very severely mentally ill. She was uh, unhappy with the Lord one morning, and she took communion. And I didn't notice it. She walked out of the church, and in front of all the school children, she she broke the host into little pieces and began to stomp on it. After Mass, a very devout Vietnamese man came in, an older man uh, of Vietnamese origin. These guys have suffered for the Lord, the Vietnamese came in and uh, uh, told me what was going on. And by the time I got out there, the old, the older Vietnamese men and women had consumed every visible part of the host they could find. They had picked it up off the ground and consumed it. They did the right thing, and I think that you did the right thing. We need to become more zealous about it. We don't have to be, um, you know, I think we need to talk before we jump instead of just, give me that, you know, say, do you know what that is? Do you know what this is? And if they say, it's a piece of bread. Say, no, it's not. I need to take that from you. Well, and don't don't assault anyone. Don't hit anyone. Don't get into an argument with anyone. And if a person is um, um, just difficult, go get the priest or go get, uh, you know. And I think the clergy should be made aware of this. Um, there's a reason that we stopped giving communion in the hand centuries ago. I think, I, I believe that in the early church, Communion wasn't that. I think that's pretty obvious from the early church writings. But we stopped at one point precisely because of this problem that people don't know what they're receiving. So, I don't know. Who knows? That's just my thinking on it. But no, I don't think you did the wrong thing, Tony. All right, let's go to a break. We'll come back with our word of the day. Battling addictions? Our sponsor, St. Gregory Recovery Center, can help you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. I'm moving on, moving on, moving on, Lord, I'm moving on down that line. I know where I've been, and I can't stay here, Lord, I'm moving on down that line. 
Yep, yep. I remember an old preacher used to say, you're either entering the kingdom or you're leaving it. You just can't stand still there. All right, that said, let's go to the word of the day. Thus says the Lord in Isaiah, the 55th chapter, the 10th verse, just as from the heavens the rain and snow come down and do not return there till they've watered the earth, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth that shall not return to me void, but shall do my will. All right, you mean the Bible? No, okay, listen up. The Bible, now don't don't anybody panic. You take what I say with a grain of salt. Where's the salt shaker? There. Strictly speaking, the Bible is not the word of God. What? Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus is the word of God. The word logos, which means word, and the word here in Hebrew would be dabar, which is oddly very similar to the Greek concept of logos. Logos means the principle of order. God created everything by his word, by his dabar, by his logos. By He brought order out of chaos. Logos is the opposite of chaos, and Jesus is the logos, which was with God and was God from the beginning. Okay, that's the logos. So what's the Bible then? The Bible is the canon of scriptures through which the word of God speaks to us. So when we say at the end of a reading, the word of the Lord, we're quite correct because this is what God is saying to us today through the scriptures. The word of God is God speaking, and Jesus is the ultimate statement of God, the Father, about the nature of God. That's what the word is. And the word does not return to heaven without accomplishing what the Father sent it for. Jesus on the cross accomplished what the Father had said. So this idea of the word, it's it's that we can carry the word around between two two covers in a, a book. No, you can't. You carry the word around in your heart and in your mind, and through you, the word speaks to the world. This idea that everything is created by God speaking, by God's word, well, that's true. So, all right, uh, let us go now to, uh, let's go to phone calls. Hello? You talk, I'll listen. That's, well, actually, you talk, and then I'll talk some more. Let's go to, to Zabat. Uh, who's calling in from Irvine, California. What can I do for you, Zubit? Well, good morning. It's still morning here, Father Simon. Well, good I morning. I have a question about yes. this. Uh, you explained it before even uh, I a- I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, the beginning, the genesis, the mm-hmm. creation, there was nobody over there to write all this um, word and statement all the way to Moses. Mm-hmm. Moses starts getting all the Ten Commandments, and you start writing. So who okay. wrote all that before? The Holy Spirit. Thank you for taking Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, yes. The Holy oh. Spirit inspired people. You know, that that um, I, I've known people who can look at you and read your soul. Padre Pio used to do that all the time. He'd go to confession to him, and you'd leave out the, <laughs> the most interesting sins. He would come around, grab you by the collar, and drag you out of the confessional and say, when you're ready to, to tell the truth, come back. Uh, who told him that? Uh, the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit was there at the beginning, 
And the Holy Spirit inspired people to, to say what these things meant. So, And since from where? I mean, from uh, what period of time? Well, it these, was until Moses. These things, well, these things were, were, according to Orthodox Jews, they were written out of the time of Moses, but they were passed down in an oral tradition from, from anti- great antiquity. These stories come to us uh, by an oral tradition. We, we think unless it's written down, well, nobody knows about it. Now, cultures that are, have an oral tradition are very good at memorizing things. To this day, there are Irish, old Irishmen who can memorize these, these poems that are books and books long, like, like uh, Homer did uh, the Iliad, the Odyssey, that, that uh, those were oral traditions, and they were composed and memorized without paper. We just are so dependent on paper or electronic media, and for most of the history of the world, those things, paper didn't even exist. So, no, these things were passed on orally by people who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So I hope that helps, Abbot. God bless you, and thanks for listening. I'm honored that you listen. Let's go to Francine from Chicago. Are you with us? I am with you, Father, and I had a bit of insight yesterday that I'm wondering what you might think of it when you were speaking of Adam and Eve noticing that they were naked in the garden. Yes. They were born seeing through lens. They were created seeing through lenses of innocence and yeah. purity. Yeah. All right. Then they ate the fruit of the tree. Yeah. And Satan changed those lenses so that they now saw guilt and blame and shame, oh. and they saw all the darkness and evil of the world. It was what the tree of the of knowledge of good and evil. Yes. I mean, their physical bodies were a joy and a, a, to the glory of God. And then when the devil changed the lens. They realized that their physical bodies could be used for things that were evil and ugly. That's a good insight. I'm going to have to ponder that, Francine. That, that's very interesting. That Thank they, you. And I want to compliment your uh, the, the voice in your head for always coming up with just the right sound effects and yes. music. And <laughs> that's the voice in my head. <laughs> yes, yes. He's the voice in my head is is six foot six inches tall. Believe me. <laughs> It barely fits <laughs> my poor aching head. All right. Well, thanks for calling in, Francine. God bless you. I'm honored to listen. Well, Thank let, you, Father. God bless. Let's go to Andrew, Bye. who's calling from Austin, Texas. What What can I do for you, Andrew? Uh, hi, Father Simon. Um, I was just I was listening with interest when you were talking about marriage and the covenant, and we consider marriage that something. Uh, you know, a, a, a contract until death. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think all of what you said is beautiful, and I agree with you. And, but um, having had two friends, uh, very dear friends, who's uh, both just went through uh, uh, divorces and annulments, mm-hmm. uh, and having seen some in, uh, information on the Internet about the uh, the number of annulments granted in the United States, if what you're saying is true, are you troubled by the fact that the church seems to be giving out annulments like candy? Well, I wouldn't say they're like candy. Uh, they are very, uh, you know, the annulment process is very interesting. I've been through it with a lot of people. And the annulment process is a, is a very rigorous one. And a lot of people I know um, who've been through the annulments say it was really healing. I think, you know, that yeah, there are a lot of annulments given out, and some people just say, ah, it's really just Catholic divorce. No, there really is a process of scrutinizing that relationship. But I think the number, the, the huge number of annulments 
is because there are really a huge number of, of marriages that are invalid. And I would, I would, I would peg the uh, wedding industry. Seriously, a very dear friend of mine uh, who should have not been married, uh, the marriage didn't last a year. It's an eminently annullable marriage. Um, he had issues, she had issues, but she, she didn't want marriage. She wanted a wedding. And uh, um, they had put so much money and effort into it that they didn't dare back down. I mean, what's the wedding cost now? About 50000 it's forty, fifty thousand. Um, <laughs> just had my daughter. <laughs> the voice ago, of my, so yes, I can yeah, and, yeah. It's just ridiculous. I, I, another very dear friend of mine. I had the most, one of the most wonderful weddings I've, I've been to in, in years. I think it cost less than two thousand. A uh, hundred people. The main course was burgers, and they were really good. And there was a, uh, a bluegrass band, <laughs> and it was just a wonderful wedding. Everyone had a wonderful time. They spent most of their time thinking about the ceremony and that sort of thing. I bet they'll make it. But right now, the wedding industry and the funeral industry, I think, are both uh, taking taking the religion, <laughs> the Christianity, out of these things. Um, uh, and so I wonder if the great number of annulments of marriages since the 50s aren't aren't because of the the wedding industry so yeah there are a lot but i think that there are also a lot of of, of marriages uh, that people have not prepared for spiritually at all so that would kind of be my perspective on it andrew and you know to think of an annulment as catholic divorce is is ridiculous and and but people do you know it's just it's not supposed to be catholic divorce um so, I, you know, I think they were talking about making the annulment process easier. That that didn't, that hasn't happened. The voice in my head has a thought. Andrew, uh, there's been several episodes of the inner life dealing with annulments, um, and we have a priest on uh, frequently to talk about it, Father Ramil Fajardo from uh, Chicago. Yes. And he likes to use the, the term declaration of nullity because it's almost like the church is not granting you an annulment yeah. as like a gift. It's sort of investigating to see if a marriage was there from the beginning. Yeah, I, I think that's a better way to uh, uh, to look at it. And it's a little confusing because there is a specific canonical form called the Declaration of, of Nullity. And that is a simple thing. It's saying you were never married in the proper form. But, yeah, Andrew, I think you have a point, though. But I think the thing, you know what I suggested to someone? That we use the forms used for annulments as a guide for a wedding preparation. In other words, to go over the annulment process and say, you think you should be married? What about this? What about that? That sort of thing. I, I don't know if it's it's feasible, but but um, Americans and marriages, nobody's getting married anymore because uh, the wedding industry has priced it right out of existence. And I, you know, there was a, uh, a great, was it Rabbi Gamaliel um, or was it, no, it, was, it was Hillel, I think, who, uh, you know, Jewish burial customs, had just gotten completely out of control, and you had to be buried in an intensely expensive garment, and it would break the bank for poor people. And Hillel uh, uh, <clears throat> decreed that he be buried in a simple shroud. And since Hillel did it, it became fashionable. And I, I've heard that that Jews uh, sometimes still drink a toast to Hillel because of his bravery in saying, I want a simple funeral. And it would be wonderful if some great, famous person said, I want a simple wedding. You know, if simple weddings became fashionable instead of these gauche, overblown, expensive, ridiculous, heathen ceremonies. But, 
You know, now, uh, two young Catholics who are good Catholics and they make a big deal out of it, maybe they should, but you got to spend time in preparation. If I would say you can have the big super wedding if you've really spent time in spiritual preparation. So just some thoughts on it. Maybe I should write the book since I'm an old priest and have been to a lot of weddings and funerals that I wish I hadn't gone to. All right, Andrew, I hope that helps a little. Any other thoughts or questions? No, thank you. I think um, I, I, everything you say makes sense. It's just it's uh, it's hard to to watch. It, as oh gosh, who does yes. take marriage seriously? Oh yeah, and and marriage. I really think that that there has to be real preparation for it because it's a it's a tough gig. Marriage. <laughs> what did G.K. Chesterton say? Marriage is a duel to the death that no honorable man will decline. So, <laughs> and he was married. <clears throat> Thanks for calling in, Andrew. God bless. Let's go to uh, is it Jean Maria Jean Marie? Hello. Hello, Jean-Marie. Oui, oui, oui. Ah, <laughs> Hi, Father. I don't speak so, French. Um, I've ruined French. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yesterday in the morning prayer, I came across uh, the greatest commandment. Yes. To love God with your whole heart, yes. your whole mind, your whole soul. I'm still struggling on what's the difference between heart, mind, and soul. Ah, heart, the deepest part of one. Mind in Greek, I can't. I I'm not sure. Which, uh, let me let me think of this. I I actually know it in Hebrew. Uh, okay, this in in Hebrew, it's with all your heart, which is the deepest part of you. The and then with all your with all your 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 faculties, the faculties over which you have control. But the interesting one is the last one, and with all your 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 might, you know what is it in in, in English? Love the Lord your God with your whole soul, with your whole heart, with your whole uh, with your whole strength. The word strength in Hebrew is ma'od, and what it means is everything you got, all your material possessions. So love God with your inner inner uh, inner inner being. Love God with your spiritual possessions. Love God even with your material possessions. That's what it is in Hebrew. And in Greek, what is it? I, I can't think of it in Greek. But in Hebrew, that's what it means. Does that help a little, Jean-Marie? 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 Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, it is. Thank good, you, Father. Good. God bless. That's that's uh, The ma'ad is the one that interests me. With your whole substance. Uh, you know, the, I remember the joke about the, the fellow, his, <clears throat> his uh, pillows being fluffed in the hospital with the nurse and and the nurse says, are you comfortable? And he looks at her and says, I make a good living. I don't get so, it. Oh, there's Homer Simpson. He doesn't get it. All right. Yeah, I, make a, I make a good living. That's, that's your ma'udka. All right. Uh, let's go to Manuel from, from Silver Springs, Maryland. Are you with us? Manuel, what can I do for yes. you? Yes, Father. Yes. I have a question. Mm-hmm. I've been attending a catechumen uh, group. Mm-hmm celebrate mass in a any room in a church mm-hmm. but not in the regular church yes we celebrate it in any room mm-hmm. and the bread that we the, the the priest consecrate is made by the by the people who attend the meeting yes now this is you're and, talking about yeah. the neo-catechumenal way i imagine right neo yeah yes neo-catechumenal yeah, way yes yeah, I have a, um, a question about the bread. Yes. It's okay. 
to eat the bread that mm-hmm. somebody has made mm-hmm. at home and bring it to the group and the priest consecrated and we eat it. It's a beautiful celebration. Yes, but... but uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to save my soul. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, Manuel, the, if if the bread the bread for the Eucharist must be made out of wheat flour and water and nothing else, and in the Western Church it is not leavened, and the leavening would if there was if there was leavening in there since leavening is just uh, essentially a, a gas that. Raises raises the bread. It doesn't really contribute anything to the bread. It's still just wheat and flour, or wheat flour and water. It would not invalidate it if it was leavened, but it would be what we call not licit. Anything that is made of other than wheat and water for the Eucharist is not valid matter. And you know the neocatechumenal way, uh, as I understand it, was believed it was recapitulating the early church. And I don't think that we can recapitulate the early church or that we should. Uh, They were very Jewish, and Jewish people were very liturgical. And I think the 60s, you know, if it started in the 60s, maybe we need to question it. But Drew, I don't think he started in the 60s, did he? No, and I show certainly didn't. So listen to Drew. He's right on target.